Well, like I said, we're in Galatians 5 this morning, verses 1 through 5. And we're talking about how Christ has made us free. Freedom in the dictionary is defined as the state of being free or at liberty rather than in confinement. It also defines it as a right to enjoy privileges or special rights of membership in a certain community. And we see those rights in the community of Christians in the way that we approach Jesus and his salvation. Now, the Apostle Paul was traveling through Galatia on his missionary journeys. And as he traveled through Galatia, because of his proclamation of the gospel, the church came into being. And in that being, Christ's death had brought in a new age, an age of the new covenant. Now, if we look back to two chapters, to chapter 3, verses 23 through 26, we'll see just how that affects us. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through, the faith, through our faith in Jesus Christ. No longer did believers have to become Jews for their salvation. No longer were they under the law of Moses. You know, to require these things is to deny the very heart of the gospel. And that heart of the gospel is justification by faith alone, nothing else. And as Christians, we are to live in the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And now, Paul had only been gone from the church for a short time, but had already been infiltrated by false teachers. And it's no different than today. The wolves are hungry. Just that short span that Paul had left, the false teachers could come in and undermine all that he had done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see that even today. You can go to, uh, if you've ever been to one of these big rallies, uh, Billy Graham or, or Harvest Crusades or any of these other things, when you leave those places, you're so full of the Holy Spirit and you know where God's leading you, you know more than get out into the parking lot and there'll be cars and people and leaflets all over with people teaching you or trying to lead you in different directions. Take my and mine's the right way. I've got the real truth. This is what you really need to know. But we remember again that there's only one true thing, and that's our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And then in verse 8 of chapter 1, it says, But even... If we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Then in verse 12 of chapter 5, he says, I wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now, when you read that verse, you can take it literally. You can see the anger in Paul's voice or hear the anger in Paul's voice that he would even say that he would hope that they would even cut themselves off. And literally, 
That would mean that he would want the people that were doing the circumcisions would take the knife and cut themselves off to emasculate themselves and become eunuchs. Yeah. So you can look at it literally or you can look at it figuratively. And that's the way I think that Paul wants us to look at it. That more than that, with the anger that he spoke, he doesn't really want them to go and cut themselves off. No more than Jesus said, pluck out an eye or, or you know, cut off your hand. Uh, he doesn't really want us to do that. But, but there's, there's, he's doing that to show us the, 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 the boldness that he wants to share with us that, that those people should be cut off. He wants them to be cut off from the rest of the church, to be gone, to be away from there. And in saying all that, uh, I, I want to bring us to today's text, and we can go ahead and go to verse 1 of chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now we see the chapter starting with the, the statement that Paul makes of the will that God has for our life, both the life of Paul and the life that we lead now. We're to stand firm. We're to plant our feet, to be immovable in the knowledge that we have, that we've been made free from the law. We no longer have to be uh, those that be circumcised or become a certain thing for his salvation. We don't have to earn our freedom. It's God's grace that has set us free. We've been made free at the tremendous cost, and that cost was the death of Jesus Christ. So we want to stand, and we want to stand firm in the faith and in the liberty of his freedom. Now, does that mean that we're at liberty to sin, to to go against God's moral standards? Uh, Go ahead and flip forward to verse 13 of chapter 5. Paul says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not know the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, Envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, 
envying one another. We're born sinners. From the time we take our first breath, our flesh starts to dictate to us who we are and who our flesh wants us to be. And we can see this evident even from our early years. We've all seen children growing up. You can take two children, two small children, and give them each a toy. And they're great for a moment. But in a little while, the one child is going to say, I could be happier with that toy as well. So he goes and takes the toy, not thinking about why. He just knows that he wants it. So the other one's going... You know, and that's where we are as, as, as men and women. We continue to grow in that. We don't just stay in that in young ages. It continues to fester and to grow. You know, the next thing we know, we're, we're adults. And we have those choices that we can make. We can either take that child's toy or leave it. But most of the time, we take it. I need a better job. I want that guy's job. I need a bigger house so I can impress that guy. You know, my car needs to be faster, flashier. You know, there's, there's always things that we can do. There's, there's things that, are, that we don't even think of that are, that are being caused in us because of our flesh. You know, the lust of the eyes. I mean, we go down this list of things that will not get us into heaven. It won't inherit us the kingdom of God. And we know these things, yet they're in here. You know, as men, we walk down the street and praise God if you can do this, but I don't think there's a man among us that can walk down and not notice an attractive woman. Not that it needs to go any further, but your eye notices it because it's our flesh. It's our sin nature. Ladies, it's the same thing for you. You see the I can't believe it's not butter guy on the commercial. And you think, wow, why doesn't my husband look like that? It's because he ate the butter. But, so we're continually looking for the next thing that's going to fill our emptiness in our heart. And we all have that. We all have that hole in our heart that we try to fill with something that desire to, to fill it with, with things, with, with friends, with uh, partying, lusting. And it doesn't all have to be bad. We can be good people. There's tons of people out there that say, oh, I'm a good person. I joined the PTA. I, my kids and I are like this, you know. Uh, we don't watch R-rated movies at home. We, we do this, we do this, we do this. Do you know Jesus? You know, are they being taught the love of Christ? And it's those fruits of the Spirit that we're looking for. And if we live that life in the Spirit, we enjoy the freedom that He gave for us. And with that come the fruits of the Spirit that we're told of again in verse 22. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. You know, as simple as those words sound, at times people ask us, well, what, is, you know, what do you get out of being a Christian? It's those things. It's that goodness, kindness. It feels good when you're good. It feels good when you're kind. But we're not like that. We're sinners from our birth. 
It's because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the, the change that he's made in our heart that we're able to do that, to go beyond that being good and being the kind of people that the world expects us to be. Against that, there's no law. That's being freed from the law. The flesh is the law. Chapter 7 of verse 6 exhorts us, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, so he shall also reap. There's consequences to all our actions. What we do today is going to make a difference. And if you think that being in church today or saying a few prayers today is going to be that difference, then you're sadly mistaken. It's that step of faith and going before God, kneeling before his cross and saying, Jesus Christ, I need you in my life. I can't do it without you. I need to be freed up from my flesh and the things that the world tells me to do and to be. This is God's will for us. This is the freedom that he died for and that he rose. This is the reason that he sent us his Holy Spirit. We have the freedom of joy in the way we live our lives. We know that there are consequences for our disobedience. We know if we don't repent, we can expect the ultimate outcome. To be eternally separated from God. To live in torment in hell forever. Now, do we say that to people? I don't always say, you know, repent or go to hell. But we have to remember that that's the outcome. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to go to hell. We're just dead men walking, waiting for a place to go. But as Christians, we've got victory in that freedom that God's given us that when we die, we know where we're going. And it's so important right now in these days, which I know in my heart are the last days. Are we showing our children what it means to love Christ, to be free in Christ, that it's not just being a goody two-shoes, that it's not just being religious. You like that? I like that. (laughs) That it's more than coming to church, that it's that heart change, that it's in that knowledge of the freedom that Christ died for. We have choices. The story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 really speaks to me of the choices that we have and how we're freed up in that. You know, the one son, younger son, was led by the flesh. He wanted it all right now. He wanted the flashy car or donkey at the time. You know, he wanted the bright lights, fast women, loose living. So he did it. He left. He said, I want mine now. Give it to me. And he took it. You know, and God says that, or God doesn't say that, but he allows us to do that. We have the freedom to go to the Lord and say, I don't want this other stuff. I want the flashy car, the bright lights, the loose living. I want to be free to do whatever I want. But God loves us so much that he doesn't hold us into that. He gives us that free will to say, you know what? If you want it, go. I'm not going to hold you. I'm not going to make you love me. 
So he left. He went to the Vegas of the time. He, uh, you know, he spent all his money. He did all the things that he knew were wrong. And he hit rock bottom. The same rock bottom that we all hit. At one time or another in our lives. And that can look different to each one of us. You know, so some of us it's really bad. To others it's not so bad, but it's still really bad to you. And he was there. He, was, he went from a, a place of freedom with a father that loved him on a place that fed him to a place with the pigs, eating pig feed, wanting to eat the pig feed because that's all he had. But he knew that there was only one place he could go and that's the same place that we all know that there's only one place where we can go and that's back to the Father. When he arrived back, he told his father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be your son. You know, I I can't count how many times I've talked to people and and shared the gospel and they say, I can't go there. I've sinned too much. You don't know the things I've done, Frank. I'm horrible. God doesn't care. He wants us broken. He wants to put us back together. And it's the same thing as the prodigal son. He went back. And instead of condemnation, his father ran out to him and gave him a kiss. I love you. Welcome home. Put the ring on his finger and had a party for him. And that's what God wants to do for us. He wants to set us free. Free of the places that we want to go that he knows are wrong, that that are bad for us. He wants to love us. He wants to take care of us. He wants to show us the the freedom that we have in him. That we're no longer under bondage to our sins. The sins that we're under bondage to are only the sins that we allow ourselves to be taken to. As I was reminded this weekend, it's, we, there are things that Satan does, yeah, but there are also, it's also our sin nature that he deceives us into believing that that's what we want to do. Don't give Satan all the power. A lot of what we do is in each one of us. We have a choice. Let's go on to verse 2. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Now, the Judaizers insisted that the Gentile believers would be circumcised for salvation. But with authority, Paul declares... If you depend on circumcision, you make God of no benefit. We can't earn our salvation by good works. If we could, we'd be expressing a whole different gospel, one of human effort, one of our own hands, separate from God's grace. The law of circumcision was taken away from from Christ by replacing him with the law. Christ is the only Savior. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. There is no other gospel. They'll tell you that there's other gospels, but there is no other gospel. Verse 3. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. 
Paul here says, I testify again. So he's reaffirming that he said, what he said in verse 2, that if you receive circumcision <clears throat> with the belief that it's necessary for salvation, it in fact only makes you a debtor to the law. When you're a slave to the law, you have the mindset of a debtor. The Judaizers used the law in an attempt to pay back their debts to God. And as Christians, we can get the view of something called gratitude ethic, where we say God has done so much for us that we devote the rest of our lives trying to pay him back by our works, by our own hands. What can we do for God? But we continue to try and tell ourselves that we're not doing that, that it's for God. But again, we're deceiving ourselves. You see, once we start working for God because of what he's done, it's easy to start thinking of God's free gift as something that needs to be repaid or earned. So it makes you a debtor instead of a son of God. Genuine gratitude is not the feeling of having to pay something back. It also diminishes the cross of Christ. When Jesus died for our sins, our debt was completely paid. When we follow the gratitude ethic, we focus on what he's done for us, and we also forget that it's not only what he's done for us, but what he's doing for us now. What's he doing in our lives, even as we sit here today? Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Therefore, even our gifts to God are from God. God does not want to relate to us as debtors. We're trying to pay him back. But his will for us is to be set free. He's paid the whole debt. Now, the gratitude ethic, guys, is something that that so many of us can fall into where we fall into that religious thing of man's attempt trying to please God. God knows what's going to please him. Our hearts are going to please him. I want to share with you something that happened to me when I first got saved. I think it's really relevant into this work or this ethic of, of gratitude for what God's done. When I got saved, God just moved and changed me so fast. I I just couldn't get enough of the Lord. And it must have showed because I got moved into leadership early, way too early. I wasn't grounded in God. I didn't know why I was really there. I knew that God loved me. I knew that he changed me. But I didn't know that it was about him. I thought it was about what he did for me. So my pastor says, pray about it. Think about coming on to leadership. So I did. For about five seconds, I wanted to be on leadership so bad. Because it was my attempt to please God. If I'm a leader, that means I'm doing good, God. I'm pleasing you. So I went into leadership. I was there 24-7. Seven days a week I was at the church. If there was something to do, I was doing it. If there was a ministry that was needed to be started, I would go to the point where I didn't notice that I was stepping on other people's desire to serve God, that I was stopping people from being blessed 
by what God had for him in that ministry because I wanted to do it all. I, I, I. I wanted to please God. I wanted to show him how much I loved him by my works. Now, God allowed me to go through all this. He saw what was happening, but it was a lesson coming for me. I almost lost my wife. In fact, she left me. My children. Not because I didn't love them. Not because I didn't care for them. But because I took my eyes off of what God really is. What God really wants in our lives. And that's that heart change and that that desire to be like Him. That we do things because of the love we have for what they've given us. It took that blow to me to almost lose my family, to not only turn them from God's word, but also to stop other people from being blessed in my attempt to please God. And that's the importance of the freedom that we have in Christ, that we're freed up to know that it's Jesus Christ and him alone that gives us the power to be free from sin and the things that would draw us away from him and make it our own. Not by our own hands, but by his power and by his Holy Spirit. It took that hard a blow for me to realize that we need to know where we are in Jesus. You know, I, I, I say that and I'm sad about it, but, but, you know, it was a good lesson for me. I learned that it's not about what I can do. And that's what it took for me. Hopefully it won't be what it takes for you. You know, don't make it, well, if I tithe really big, God likes me. Church people like me. Nobody knows what you're tithing other than God and the counters. But... (laughs) I want to be a leader so I can show people how much I love God. doesn't matter. I need to be in church every Sunday and every Wednesday and every Thursday and every men's meeting. doesn't have to. As long as we know that we've been freed up by what Jesus did for us and it's only through him and his grace that we are where we are, it's all good. You know, don't become the religious people that we so easily tend to do. You know, uh, we find freedom in this church. We see no ties. Uh, we see sandals. We see God looks at the heart, not the outside. You know, and and, and I'm not going to point pe- fingers at other denominations, but there's denominations that require things. Got to wear pants, ladies. You can't wear pants. You got to wear dresses. You can't do this. You can't do that. You know, it's all regimented. Worship me this way. Pray this way. Do it other ways other than the way that Jesus wants us to do. And we don't want to go there. And we just continue to see through uh, Galatians here how that freedom works. You know, don't go there, guys. If you know. Talk to somebody. Take a look at your life. I mean, this weekend really made me look at my life, our lives. We were just 
in awe of what it means to truly be in love with the Lord. You know, does it, does it come out of your pores? Can they smell Jesus on you? I so want to smell like Jesus. You know, I, I want to. People will ask me, how, can, how, do you, how do you love Jesus that much? I don't know. I don't have any words. I just know. You know, I get to that point where I have no words. Just like that when we get into prayer, when we don't have words. And the Spirit can even understand our groanings and know where we are. Love the Lord. Make Him the reason that we're set free. Verse 4. If you've become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. If we put on the yoke of the law, trying to achieve our own righteousness before God, we have submitted to being a slave. We are no longer standing in the freedom to us, given to us by the grace of Christ. But what is grace? We've all heard the acronym G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. He did for us then, but he continues to do for us now. It was what he did at his expense, at his death. He took the sins of the world upon himself that we could be freed up in him to live forever, to be joined with the Father in him in heaven forever. No more sin. No more weeping. No more baldness. Unless you like baldness, then that's okay, but... Grace is a powerful work of God. He continues to exert it freely in our lives. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the ultimate price. He endured not just the physical pain for us, but he endured the Father turning his face away from him because he became sin for us. That's love. He continues to show us that love daily in the walk and in that freedom that we have because of what he paid for in his blood. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the ultimate price. The grace of God. You know, what's he doing in your life? You know, we talk of change. Is he really changing you? Do we see that grace of God? It's that thing that he exerts in us that makes us strong enough to walk by that place that we don't want to walk in. Or staying off that website that we know we really want to go to. It's keeping our tongue in our mouth when we know we want to say something and we don't. That's grace. It's being able to share the love with one another. To love Michael like I know he loves me. To love you. To, to love my family. To, to have that fulfillment of the desire to love like Jesus does. It's not this big ball of light that's going to come down and say this is grace we live in grace every day God's grace is poured out to us in in everything that we do in the way we talk, in the way we overcome things, in the way that, that he shows us things the way he speaks to us in his word grace grace is awesome in 1 Corinthians 15 10 Paul said but by the grace of God I am what I am and in his grace towards me, in his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which 
was with me. Again, grace is what God pours out in our lives. It's not something that we have to pay back. It's not something that was just for then, but for now. So as verse 4 implies, it is the grace of God that it is our, that is our freedom. That's the key to our freedom. <clears throat> we joyfully receive the help that comes from God's caring for our lives. We walk in freedom when we trust in Him instead of turning to the law. What an amazing God we serve when, we, when our hearts and our outward motions are of Him and not because of church. <clears throat> Verse 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Whoops, I'm sorry. <laughs> Verse 5, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Romans 5.1 says, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So how are we waiting these final days to be made fully righteous. Do we wait as slaves to sin into our flesh? Or do we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? As true believers, we should be waiting for the glorious return of Jesus when we will receive our glorified bodies, when we'll be able to sin no more. We should be waiting for God to complete righteousness in each one of us, not attempting to produce it in our lives not by what we can do, but by allowing him to do the work in us. We already have a right standing before God through the Lord Jesus. We're made free only by what he did for us, not by anything that we've done or could ever do. Today, if you're living without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you're doing church instead of Jesus, then this morning, again, I tell you that you are a slave to the law. But if you're here wanting more of him, desiring to worship him with your lives, if you're, if you're here because you want to, not because you have to, then you're freed up from the law. When I was talking with Rory to, at the conference, Again, there was so much that I wanted to say today that, that when I went in there, I wasn't sure what to expect. But as usual, God had his way. And he touched us all in, in a way that, that reminded us of how we're freed up to love God because of what he did for us, not of what we do. We're told that in Galatians, all through Galatians. <clears throat> I encourage you to go ahead and, and read through Galatians again that it's not because of what we do. It's not the religious things that we do. It's not because we come to church. It's because we get to come to church and worship our Lord. It's because of what he did and what he wants to do. I was telling Roy that I, after the first two speakers... I thought of coming in here this morning and just taking and, and, and throwing these notes away because there was so much that God had touched me with. Because, you know, Rory can teach you from the word because he's here every day. It's his job and he loves it 
and God's using him in a mighty way. As leadership, we get to come up now and then, and we want to do a good job. But more than a good job, I want to share with you what God wants to do in your heart because of what he's doing in mine. After those first two speakers, I just wanted you guys to know what an awesome God we serve. That it's not because of what we do or what we don't do. You know, don't watch this movie. Don't listen to that thing. You know. Kids, if you're here this morning and your parents are making you come to church, ask them why. If they're just telling you to come to church is because of it's right and it's because of what God wants. Pray with them. Because if you're making your kids come to church, it's because you love them. And because you want Jesus, you want them to know the love of Jesus that's in your heart. Because you care for them, because you want to see them in heaven. You know, when my kids got saved, I thought, man, I am so free. I never have to worry about my kids again. Praise God. I can, you know, when I hit 30, which was a couple of years ago, or more, I was scared to die. I was scared to die. What comes next? I wasn't walking with the Lord, but, you know, I, I was one of those guys that needed the flashy car. I had the flashy car. And... I just, I just thought, live for today, be a good guy, but, but, but have fun while you're doing it and hope that you, know, you go to heaven, this place called heaven. No, heaven isn't here right now, guys. This is part of heaven right now. You get to love the people around you. You get to love your wife, your kids, like nowhere else because it's not going to happen again. Not like this. But don't weep for that. There's people that weep for missing where they're going to go because they're not going to see their be in love with their wife like they are here or they're not going to love their kids. Guys, it's going to be so much better. We can't even imagine the kind of love that we have to look forward to. So enjoy what God's doing in your life. Be freed up to, to, to have that knowledge of, of what Christ did and, and how much he loves us and, and how much he wants to, to just bless us. Tony, why don't you come up and, and we'll close in, in song. Being freed in Christ, there's so much more to be said. And hopefully at the home groups tonight, the leaders will, will delve a little deeper and you can share what God's putting on your heart and how he's showing that to you. But if not, just talk with your husband or your wife or your kids. Take a look at your life and ask yourself, am I really freed up? In Christ, am I really who I say I am? And not just in leadership, in this body. You know, there is no big church, like I said. There's no little church. There's only God's church. And that church starts right here. I hope this morning that, that you would just go home and just reflect on, am I doing things for the right reason? Am I really loving Jesus like he wants me to? Or am I trying to show people what it takes for God to do that. I pray to God that I'm not doing that, that I'm not saying with my life, this is what you have to do. Don't look at what I do, but look at my heart. And I hope that as a body, as a church family, that you would hold me accountable to that. 
Frank, are you really where you are? There's one more verse that I want to leave us with before the worship team starts, and that's Revelations 22, 7. It says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the word of prophecy of this book. Jesus is coming soon, guys. We're in the last days. Love Jesus with all your heart. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Because he loves you so much.